we have 50 minutes to cover uh, risk management, which is a, a really big task. So uh, as I call the panelists, as I introduce the pan panelists, please come up to the stage. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on bios because I want to make sure we get to content. So our first panelist is Edwin Derecho. Edwin is the CFO of Celebrity Series of Boston, which is a small presenting arts organization in the city. And uh, he's been a client of ours for many years, and I happen to work with Edwin personally. And so have firsthand knowledge of their risk assessment process. Uh, he's, his, his responsibilities not only inclu include finance and accounting, but human resource, and he works closely with the technology uh, department. So thank you, Edwin. Welcome. Our second panelist is John Flanders, and John is the COO at the uh, New Hampshire Community Loan Fund. I'm told it's up to a $100 million portfolio. Um, but he served on the board for several years and now he's leading it, um, leading basically the operations. But one of the things that really is intriguing about John is he, he comes to the loan fund from uh, banking, Nashua Bank, where he was the chief risk officer. Now, if you want to talk about risk, talk to a banker, right? <laughs> Who has more risk than that? So we're really pleased to have John on the panel. And our last panelist is our own James Jumas, who's partner in charge of our uh, business advisory service group. And uh, James has a long resume, 25 years plus working with information technology systems. He helps a lot of our clients looking at IT security, cybersecurity, internal control auditing, business process improvement, and, and many others. He has a long resume and spent many years with national firms, the big four. So thank you, James. So we're going to get right, right into it. Uh, you know, when we talk about uh, risk assessment, you know, wh what are we talking about? There's um, um, financial risk, fraud risk, control risk, technology risk. I mean, there's all these risks that it's, it's almost daunting. And so what we want to try and get for you today is a little bit about where, you know, what other organizations are doing, and if you haven't started a program, where you can start. And if you do have a program, maybe you'll learn something about an area that you didn't focus on before. Edwin's uh, risk assessment process is really, was really focused on financial risk. And so it was very targeted to fi financial risk and, and, and legal compliance. And then John's um, experience is enterprise risk. So when we talk about enterprise risk, we're talking about reputation, HR. I mean, you're looking at the complete entity in addition to technology and financial, et cetera. So it's a much broader view. And then James brings to the table technology risk, and I know some of what he might cover today might be covered later. If he doesn't cover it this morning, he can cover it in the next session. But technology, if you think about it, spans all the departments. HR, accounting, I mean, reputation. If there's someone hacks in and there's a breach, that's reputation risk, right? So technology, it, it really covers it all. And so hopefully James will be able to help us understand how to start with technology. Because many of us, when we're in a finance role, we have the responsibility to over oversee technology, just like some brainchild thought we should handle HR, right? I mean, accountants handle HR, it's crazy. So, um, so it, and, and so you have to know sometimes what you don't know, 
and when to bring in the experts and when to ask questions, at least when to raise the questions. And that's really where, where we can help our organizations and um, is raise those questions to reduce risk because we should all be thinking about how we can reduce risk to our companies. I mean, certainly over the last five years, there's more attention being placed on uh, the, effect, the effectiveness of senior executives and boards of directors in managing and overseeing the multitude of risks that we face on a daily basis so that we can make sure that our mission um, is carried forward and we're being able to fulfill our mission. So there's greater risk awareness. It's an expected best practice. It's, you know, your, your, your advisor should be asking you, your board should be asking, what are we doing to mitigate risk? What's our plan and how are we addressing it? So hopefully we'll give you today uh, some uh, e examples of risk assessment processes that people have gone through, where to start if you haven't started. And then we did in your handouts, which are available on our website, and the link that's on the um, table tents, uh, is that um, there's a two-page handout. And it's going to summarize uh, what's in, you know areas to think about in enterprise risk, uh, it's going to um, talk about some of the terms we're going to use today of when you're looking at risk areas, you're looking at impact and likelihood of something happening. And uh, Edwin's uh, organization did a great job charting that out and you know you get into the red zone and that's where it's highly likely and has the biggest impact and those are the ones you want to address first. So you can really chart it out so even the boards you know, at a, at a glance can really understand where the risk sits. So let's get started. So Edwin, we're going to start uh, with you because I want to start with um, a plan that was much more focused because it was really the audit committee and senior management that said we want to look at finance risk. And as auditors, we're required to, to really have that conversation about where you see risk and in relation to fraud because that's part of the audit process. But they really look at, and they have an interesting business being an arts organization. And so can you talk a little bit about how you started the process, who were the stakeholders involved, and then you know how, how you got started? Uh, good morning, everybody. So it strikes me that every single person in this room is very knowledgeable about risk, about controls, about how you pull those things together. So why is it that we're all so reluctant to document it, to review it, to discuss it with the key constituencies? And I think the, the reason for that is we hate to put down something where we know we're going to be wrong eventually. And that's in our personality. We like to have control. That's why we use the term key control so frequently. <laughs> and uh, the way I approached it was the people who are our constituencies are all in the same boat as we are. So uh, there's a lot of dangers out there, but the members of the board, the audit committee, the management, um, ourselves, we're the good guys. So let's start putting some things down. You'd be amazed how many controls you already know about, how many risk areas you have full knowledge of, and you'll be amazed how that will grow. So in our case, I want to give an example of a uh, key area that has some, I think, excellent controls, but also an assessment of risk. So for us, we do performances, about 70 performances a year in the Boston area. And so our inventory is tickets. Tickets are our most monetizable asset. And the one area I wanted to give an example for is complementary tickets. Because while we very much enjoy selling tickets, we also have to give out some free ones. And the free ones are the danger area. 
So, Edwin was quick to point out we didn't have tickets here, so you're all complimentary today. <laughs> <laughs> he was quick to point that out. Go ahead. Ed. Yes, um, although a very good investment on your part. Yes. So, <laughs> so the, the the first thing I'll mention is that most of our online ticket sales are um, purchased with credit cards. So the the risk of cash being mishandled is extremely small. We have very few cash transactions. Um, I think there are three areas that good controls uh, should address. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what I've thought about and, and how I summarize them. The first is there has to be some verifiable, reliable system or process that does the transactions. The second is there really needs to be some form of segregation of duties, that there's one other person, ideally one other department that handles it. And then the third would be that senior management really is interested enough in this that they consistently look at it. So in our case, to issue a ticket or to give a free ticket, you have to use our ticketing system and there has to be either a form of payment or a complementary reason code. That code is in a report that is reviewed by uh, managers. The budget that tells us whether we're on track to do performances has a very detailed daily breakdown of how many tickets we get revenue for. So you, already you can see that not only is there a system and a process, but also a management involvement. And there's also an accounting requirement that we post revenues every day. So there's an accounting look at it as well as a ticketing look. So there are two departments that are involved. Um, the combination of these, <clears throat> along with the fact that the budget gives the board a chance to evaluate whether our ticket revenues are online to meet the target, gives us, I think, a pretty good assurance that we have the right environment to be able to determine when there are exceptions that take place that need attention. And I thought that this is a good example of approaching an area where you already know you have controls in place that are effective, and then just document how those seek to mitigate what the risks might be. Right, yeah, and that's a good point. So when you're looking to lay out your analysis, you have your risk areas down the left-hand side, right? What are, where, where might you have risk? And along the, type, along the top, you're gonna have, what's the likelihood, right? You might have low, medium, high. You're gonna have, what's the impact? Low, medium, high. What are the mitigating controls that we have in place in the next column? Because that's really gonna, going to then make sure that you get to what's the residual risk. Is it something that we need an action plan? And then beyond that, you might have an owner, owner who's gonna own it and what's the action behind it. But that's a nice way to lay it out and then from that detail, you can sort of plot it out into a, a color grid so people can understand um, you know, where you have risk, but you bring up some good points on, on understanding mitigating controls um, and making sure that you lay those all out and a lot of it you had documented already. It was just a matter about thinking it through, right? And making sure that the stakeholders, your audit committee was comfortable. Exactly. I mean, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I'll mention one other thing, which is uh, we're a small organization. So these things have to be practical. And we didn't waste time talking about theoretical, wonderful things to have. We just talked about <laughs> the nitty gritty. Uh, it doesn't cost too much to put in because we already have it. Uh, it won't limit our flexibility. We can still operate. And um, it addresses human concerns. You know, is this something that can be done every day? And 
uh, still have people happy to come to work. So those are the concerns. Yeah, you talked when we were preparing for this, you said you took a practical approach to risk assessment, that you didn't want it to be academic. It's very much a human process and that you just want to talk as practical business people. And in a small organization, that's important because you don't have a lot of resources, right? And so how can we achieve what we need to with the limited resources that we have that's reasonable and, 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 and gets us to a place that we want to be. So that absolutely makes sense. Thank you, Edwin. Um, you know, so um, I'm going to just, uh, so that was a very uh, focused view on, on, uh, on the ticketing. And the, if you look at their whole plan, it was really around financials. So we, you know, they went through a process and presented us with a detailed report around processing disbursements and receipts and payroll and sort of all, anything around the finance side. And then I think you also looked at legal compliance and what's your compliance monitoring of when things need to get filed and who's, who owns them and when are they filed. So that was really specific. John. So you're the banker guy, right? So you're the risk expert in this room. So you took a much broader view, and that was you went through an enterprise risk process. So can you explain to us a little bit um, how that differs from a narrow view like financial risk? Sure, Carly. Thank you. Uh, so the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund, we are a uh, community development financial institution, uh, which is a unique type of financial institution. We're chartered by the uh, U.S. Treasury Department, and uh, we focus on uh, a nonprofit mission-based uh, lending uh, purpose. So um, there are banks, there are credit unions, and there are CDFIs. Um, so CDFIs um, really look to fill the gaps that exist um, in the financing market. So we work very closely with other financial institutions. Um, our first loan was to a manufactured housing park where the residents were in danger of losing their homes because the park was in the process of being converted to a commercial uh, development site. And they would lose their homes, they would lose the investment they had in those homes. So uh, this was 30 years ago, and the Sisters of Mercy uh, heard about this uh, dilemma, and they made a loan to us, which we in turn loaned to the residents of that park we helped them form a cooperative, and they purchased that park, and they were able to save their homes. Uh, so 30 years later, we have helped um, several hundred, uh, 120 parks um, in New Hampshire become cooperatively owned, and that's preserved over 6,000 units of affordable housing. So you can think of us as, in some sense, the, the first crowd funders, because people in the community who see this need um, for affordable housing, for small business development, can, can lend us money, which we in turn, acting as an intermediary, can then work with banks and other financial institutions to extend their reach and help people who you know, don't have the capital and don't have the funds, but maybe have the cash flow and maybe have the expertise, get things done to help themselves in their community. So when it came to risk assessment, we had to really look at ourselves as a financial institution, because we are a financial institution, and we had a lot of important assets, a lot of data that we had to secure, and a lot of processes that we had to ensure uh, would go right. We took the approach that uh, enterprise risk management is not about trying to identify all the things that can go wrong in this sort of apocalyptic analysis. We took the approach that if you're a successful nonprofit, you are probably doing risk management every day, and you don't realize it. Uh, 
What you don't have, perhaps, is uh, you may not have the framework to talk about risk. You may not have the framework to identify risk and to be forward-looking and to um, understand how things are, are happening. Um, I had a manager in, in my area say, well, you know, we've spent 30 years and we've never had a problem. We've never had anything go wrong in that particular area. And I said, that's great. That could be luck or that could be in good internal controls. And we really need to help identify whether it, which one of those it is, because eventually luck runs out. So what we did, as Carla, Carla uh, indicated, we took a very broad uh, approach to enterprise risk management. We had not done a plan before. We knew we had a lot of risks over a lot of areas. And we knew that this could be quite complicated. So we took a um, high-level, simplified approach, which I would describe as sort of a broad brush with a light touch um, across probably six different risk categories. We started the process by taking senior management <clears throat> into a room and studying risk management, understanding what this process was, learning about it, educating ourselves to it. And we did some brainstorming and we came up with six areas, credit risk, operational risk, which would be everything from fraud to somebody slipping in the driveway, reputational risk, strategic risk, which covers some of those existential risks that you hope your strategic plan identifies, asset liability risk, which is a type of risk unique to financial institutions, and finally, compliance risk, everything that we need to comply with, particularly in the consumer protection law areas, we identified these areas. And then we began a very high-level approach to breaking down the inherent risks of those areas. Uh, we quickly discovered that probably the you know, most intensive inherent risks were in consumer protection regulations mm -hmm. and data security. And then, we, um, then we, we met as a group. We went through a risk assessment process, again, trying to think about all of those things that have to go right rather than what might go wrong and uh, built our process out that way. We then um, felt that over time, we could go deeper. Um, it almost becomes uh, like a process of, of, of fractals because the, the, you can start at a very high level and then you can branch out and assess individual risks. So while we looked at credit risk sort of overall with a broad brush, and by credit risk, I mean the risk that people we lend money to might not repay us. We have different types of loan programs. We have business purpose loan programs. Can we then later do a separate risk assessment on business purpose loan programs? And then can we dive down onto that further and say we're, we are going to risk assess our business, small business versus our large business? Then we have residential lending programs. We can also later on uh, dive down into those. So we kept it very high level. We've, we've still kept it fairly high level because it is so broad. And we know that in the future we can go deeper and will go deeper in each of those individual areas. Yeah, so I like that you flip the paradigm. What are we doing right versus what are we doing wrong? Right, so what are all the great things that we're doing? What are all the strong controls that we have? Let's look at the positive. And then the light touch, uh, was a great approach because it can be um, 
make people anxious, department heads, program directors, whomever the, who the, the stakeholders are within the company, oh, I have to go through this process, I don't have time, I have all these things on my plate, what does this mean, right? And so you made it very easy to get their feet wet and then understand the importance of the process and how it benefits the organization, but not only the organization, all of the great families that they help um, with the affordable housing. And that's really what this is about, is you still need to be around so that you can benefit the community um, with all your missions. And so, um, and so that approach was, was really great. You didn't want to have too ambitious of a schedule, and so um, I'm wondering if you could give a sense, each of you, of timing, like uh, how long um, did the process take? And is it? I'm sure it's still ongoing, John. Uh, but John, you want to talk first, and then sure. And so, um, so our our orientation to this process, where we began educating senior management about enterprise risk management, I would say took a couple of months reading materials talking about it, having some discussions. Our initial pass at um, risks probably took four or five meetings, a couple hours each. A lot of brainstorming, a lot of back and forth. And then we reached down to um, second and third layers within the company to sort of validate um, what we had thought. And we did that independently. We went out to those groups and the business units, and we asked them to go through a similar process that we went through in their units so that we were able to sort of compare our, our results and our approaches. And that took, that took a, a couple of months, but it wasn't like we were working on it daily or anything like that. So um, again, we kept it uh, high level and allowed us to be flexible. If we ran into roadblocks, we just extended time. We were able to complete everything probably within about six months and have a very valid plan. And again, that was not something we worked on day to day or maybe even touched every week. Yeah, and there's different approaches. It seems like you had all of your heads of each department working together. I know some organizations go department by department and focus in one area and you might focus in finance and then HR and then sort of rotate. Edwin, you had a very focused assessment plan. How long did that take to pull together? So the shocking thing, Carla, is that while we find risk fascinating, the, t the attention span of members of the board and other committees <laughs> is extremely limited. So um, uh, the executive director and I. Except for one. Well, <laughs> yes, we that's right. Nice, yeah. um, and the finance committee. Uh, so we said, uh, in four weeks, we will produce a draft. We will give people a week and a half to review it. We'll have one meeting to discuss it one follow-up meeting, and then it will be a live document. We will amend it, we will uh, discuss it with our partners AAF, we will make mistakes, we will go through it, and then we will each audit planning period, which is when our wonderful AAF team comes out, yeah. is a <laughs> I didn't bench, say it. Yeah. Is our milestone to review the process and get together. But the whole document is less than seven pages, and it's in 12-point font, so no cheating with you know, <laughs> strange things. Uh, relatively few diagrams and tables. And I, I place the most emphasis on getting members of the audit committee 
to speak up about their perspective on risk here and their organizations, I found that it's actually much better to engage people in things they can relate to than droning on about how wonderful a job it is that uh, we figured out the, all the risks. And then I also tried to have at our internal meetings a confession of some sort about how uh, there was something called being human. So somebody made a mistake, we, we learned something from this. Uh, uh, even our wonderful auditors found a recommendation that you know maybe we should implement. <laughs> and every great relationship has yes conflict, has <laughs> disagreement, and has you know times when you actually have to come up and say I made a small boo boo, but I learned from it. Uh, when you when we go through that, we find it's much more relaxed. It isn't a search for the guilty and punishment for the innocent type of paradigm, and it's a much more positive process. Great, thanks, Edwin. Um, actually, the risk profile that's in the handout, which is in the slides, which is the color-coded graph, is actually a snippet out of a, one, a, a section in Edwin's plan. James, so I, uh, technology. Technology crosses all of the areas. When um, John was talking about you know, enterprise risk, compliance, financial, governance, HR, operational, reputational, strategic, technology, it covers everything. It, and, and so as I mentioned, Earlier, a lot of the people in this room have oversight for technology, but maybe not the background. Mm -hmm. So can you um, maybe give some thoughts about where someone should start um, on looking at technology risk in, in, in a way that the finance people who might not be technologists um, you know, would make sense and is practical, and then you know, maybe then expand to areas where they might want to seek some outside experts? Sure. So first, I think if <clears throat> board members find uh, risk fascinating, I think uh, most people in this, organ uh, in this room would find uh, IT and IT risk absolutely riveting. <laughs> right? So let's start there. But in all actuality, IT controls, IT and IT systems is pervasive in pretty much every uh, organization. So I'm thinking to Edwin's scenario, where he's talking about a ticketing system, and he's talking about all the controls that he has in the finance group around that ticketing system. And I'm thinking to myself, how many of those controls rely on that system? And then I'm thinking in John's case, uh, with this manufactured housing uh, community and making loans, how many of those loans are serviced by loan software? And how many of those systems are developed systems versus systems that are off the shelf that you buy? And how many of us have IT people that we say, yeah, he's got it covered. I have a great IT person. So, James, sometimes we hear, oh, we outsource our IT, so we're all set. Yeah, <laughs> Just I, and, yeah. And, and that's another one. So <laughs> in both of those scenarios, whether it's in-house or, or outsourced, we, uh, we start with the blocking and tackling. So this is where the riveting part comes in. <laughs> so we look at access to programs and data, so logical access, who has access to what, what do your passwords look like, um, how are you setting up users, how are you getting rid of users, are you looking at users that uh, on a regular basis of the system to see that those users are supposed to still be the users. Um, we look at program, we look at change management, and change management can be anything that from we replaced a server, we upgraded our software, we made um, some small changes to our software that we developed. 
We look at program development. If there is a uh, application that was in-house developed, and it all should follow a change management process that's well-defined and well-controlled. And then we look at IT operations, and in IT operations that includes uh, backup, uh, recovery, antivirus. And what we find is whether it's uh, in-house or outsourced IT, we find the same problems. Um, one of our clients who's in the room today, it was very interesting because it was the first time I saw a CFO accompany us to their own outsourced IT service provider. And it was incredibly enlightening to see the CFO responding to some of the things that, uh, you know, were pretty obvious that they weren't doing, or the confusion of who was supposed to do what. You know, the thought is, oh, they have it covered. But the question is, do they truly have it covered? Mm. So we go back to, we look at risk, and then we try to match controls against known risks, and then we test those controls. That's our, that's our process of doing it. Uh, obviously, it makes a huge difference if you're uh, using a cloud service provider. So a lot of people look in that and say, you know, we, we use so-and-so for our, our, we use NetSuite. Well, that's great. Well, the question is, what does NetSuite or what does that cloud service package do for you? Who has responsibility for what controls? Do they have a SOC report, a service organization controls report? It used to be known as SAS 70s, now known as uh, SOC 1s or SSA 16s. Do you actually get the report? Do you look at the report? Do you do the controls that are specified in the report that you're supposed to do? So this is all, when you're looking at systems, because it's so pervasive, and there's so many hands in the IT uh, world these days, you have to look at it from a, a, an, an individual uh, set of risks, and no matter whether you outsource it or not, you know, outsourcing itself can be a set of risks, and outsourcing it to a cloud service provider can uh, produce a set of risks. Great. Yeah, you know, I think that's an important message that um, there should be some due diligence on behalf of the organization with the independent third parties to make sure that they're doing what they said they were going to do or that you have risk covered. But I'm interested, um, I know that there are certain controls and, you help, and you've also helped some clients look at controls in technology which then obviously help during the audit process too because you can rely on certain things within the technology. Um, can mm -hmm. you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so, so as for many of the financial statement audits, we try to do an IT risk assessment. And these IT risk assessments are, aren't too, uh, it's, it's kind of like that light brush that you're talking about, but it's, it is pretty focused, but light brush. So we, we try to determine whether controls are designed properly and implemented. And the results of that are very similar to doing an enterprise risk assessment where IT is a component, where we then discover controls that are, are not implemented or not implemented well or not designed well. And when you look at, um, you know, things that, uh, you look at scenarios where, like in Edwin's case, he's relying on that ticketing system, and then I look and I see who has access to that ticketing system, and somebody could put a ticket in there, they could, uh, they could uh, create a, 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 vent, uh, a, a customer, uh, and they could use a card and purchase a ticket, and they have all control over it. Is that great? You know, that's, that's the challenge, is uh, who has access to what? 
sometimes these little things make a huge difference because maybe there's a massive violation of segregation of duties there. Um, and then on, on the loan uh, scenario, uh, we actually worked with one of his uh, recipients of loans. And uh, they, had a, they had a system that was custom developed. And we looked at to how could they reduce the risk of their operations while also increasing the efficiency of those operations. So in, in that particular case, uh, it was great. Uh, the loan fund provided them all the infrastructure. But then when they left the loan fund, uh, they, they had to go off and get their own uh, infrastructure. And so the question is, what would you do if you started over? So you think about risk and the size of the organization, and they pretty much put everything in the cloud or had it off the shelf and made a huge difference for them. They're still in process, of course, but um, the risks were significantly re reduced. I think right. one other area I just want to mention briefly is a lot of people get jazzed up over um, these vulnerability assessments and penetration tests uh, or scans of your systems. And I think those are also very important as well. Uh, we don't do that as a part of the financial statement audits, but you should look to do those uh, at least once every other year, but most likely once every year. Uh, and you'd be surprised what you find. People who have amazing IT people, you know, we find that there are amazing holes in their IT you know, environment, partially because you could be as amazing as you can be, but in today's world of technology, you can't have everything covered. It's not simple anymore. And, and that was going to be my next question with the vulnerability penetration testing. Is there a profile of a company that needs this? Does everybody need it? Is it only if they have certain types of data? I mean, or so what's... What's your recommendation? So, without giving everything away for the presentation later on, um, if you oh, have okay. yeah, if you have something of any value, somebody will want it at some point, and if they want it, they will try to get it. So the question, old age question, is why do people rob banks? Right. <laughs> because that's where the money is. But uh, why would people want to get in your environment? Um, most likely because that's where the data is. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's profiles like uh, healthcare providers, uh, they have the most valuable data out there. You know, they, you know, we'll get into the values of those later, but a credit card uh, these days, stealing a credit card number is very, very low value. Stealing a healthcare record is very high value. Right. You also have to think of reputational harm and, and, and how that impacts you. If somebody gets into your system and steals data, are those data, you know, valuable to you but not have a street value? So reputational harm could seriously impact donors. Uh, we were involved with one client where we brought in into a fraud scenario. And it was a scenario where, actually it was the IT person of all people, uh, he started purchasing printers uh, and supposedly deploying them. Well, he went through, a, used a PayPal account and it was his own company and he was buying the printers off of eBay, only three of them showed up. So at the end of the day, all these printers never got placed in the field, but he got paid for them. So the, the not-for-profit asked us to come in and take a look at this, and you know it was a really interesting discussion, but the scenario was don't do anything at this point in terms of taking it to court. Don't get them arrested. You have all the evidence. And the, the, the question was why, why would they ever not prosecute? Well, it was reputational harm. You know, it was 
10 grand worth of printers, which is a lot of money to some organizations, but the reputational harm would have probably been more than $10,000 in donations. So you have to really be practical about uh, how to right. work with these things. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why we always ask about PayPal accounts. So all our clients out there know why we ask about that. The controls are terrible. So um, thank you for that, because I think that's important. You know, at AEFCPAs, we started a process for regular um, vulnerability penetration testing. James works with a, a, a gentleman who does this. I've, I've never seen him. We call him super stealthy guy. Um, <laughs> but I think it's important, because you've got to know where your weaknesses are, right? Hey, Car Carla, if you saw him, we'd have to kill you. Yeah, OK. <laughs> so I, don't, I, I never want to meet him. Um, so anyways, I think it's a good practice to be in. But I, I do want to get to one thing with John before I'm going to ask you to talk about the benefits you receive from going through this process and any pitfalls that people might be wary of. But John, strategic risk. It's one that I don't see a lot on, on, on risk assessment plans. What's the risk in your how you go about developing your strategy and carrying out your strategy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just a flavor of what sure. it, it entailed and who was involved. That's a great question and you know I think we're still trying to figure that out ourselves a little bit because it is it is rather nebulous but this is where we maybe kick it up a notch and try to think less a little less granular and a little more uh, big picture and bring in some of the existential risks but we defined strategic risk as the risk that a loss may arise from the pursuit of an inadequate or inappropriate business plan or from the failure to actually achieve you know, the business plan that you set out to um, achieve or that you fail to keep it updated and relevant. So um, it might be things uh, like uh, uh, how, is the world, how is the world changing around you and how does that represent a risk to your organization and what you do. And one of the things we think of in the financial services world is the emergence of FinTech, or the ability for people to just you know, put an app on their phone and uh, get a loan. Um, that represents risks for uh, traditional financial institutions and how are you going to address that, uh, what we sort of call the Uberization of, of services. So we have to think about that and factor that into our plan. Um, as we did our plan, you know, we tried to link all of our risk areas to an eventual internal audit process, perhaps. Strategic risk seemed a little difficult to link to an internal audit process. So what we did was just develop uh, sort of dashboards around um, our strategic plan performance and where we, we, were, we would ask ourselves, you know, has our board you know, met periodically to reconsider our business plan and to see where we were with our business plan? So I hope that answers the, the general theme yeah, around that. Yeah, it that. does. And yeah. I think it's going to vary organization by organization for sure. But I think that gives a nice flavor for it. And, and one of the other questions, too, was, which I think you've both answered, is how often do you, um, do you, do you revisit the risk assessment. And I know, Ed, when you look at it on an annual basis in preparation of the audit and in the pre-audit meeting, and, and um, you have an internal audit process. So larger organizations probably have the resources to have either a compliance, um, uh, you know, a compliance uh, department or internal audit function. Smaller organizations <laughs> probably don't have that luxury. <laughs> and so they're going to need to really set, OK, how often do we want to check on these things? So when I talked about that matrix of having your risks down the left, 
impact, likelihood, mitigating controls, and then what's the action, you probably want a column on there as to how often should I follow up on it, right? Mm -hmm. So how often should we look at this? How often should we check to make sure that this is happening? Um, so that, that, that's a good point. Edwin, benefits. What were, can you talk to some benefits from going through the system? Uh, absolutely. Well, one of the great benefits is that it gives me an excuse to talk to my staff, like the, the whole organization, <laughs> about why they should be part of filling out credit card documents and, you know, complying with approvals and invoices. Oh, you don't just blame us? You say there's a reason? Oh, that's good. <laughs> I, I call you our partner, so they keep asking me how much of a commission I get. Oh, okay. So, um, so one be great benefit is that it involves different parts of the organization, and I, I make it a point at least a couple of times a year to talk about how our controls have helped us achieve uh, something. One quick example is, um, recently, I was interviewed by people helping us with a capital campaign that we're launching, and I said, I'm going to do everything I can to defend the money that anybody gives to us, and we have a set of controls to help ensure that. I think it's a pretty powerful statement when you indicate that you spend the time to um, make sure that any funding that we get gets put to good use and is not wasted through mechanisms that are beyond our understanding. Okay. Any pitfalls? So I think there has to be a willingness to accept that whenever you write anything about risks that people can go on the attack. So we have an active member of our audit committee who we cherish, yes. but uh, sometimes the way that he puts things would put normal people, I'm not normal, but no, normal people kind of defensive and say, why do you waste my time bringing up this ridiculous point? So. When, when, when those things happen, I go back to one of my principles, which is we're on the same boat. We um, uh, need to value the different inputs that uh, come together. So what I've found is if you sit down together and talk through something and then have a humility about we can't do everything, but here are the things we can do to address it, I think that positive attitude helps to go a long way. But I think the, the main pitfall would be to retreat into a shell and say, I've had enough of this, I'm the expert, and you know, you've done your share, mm -hmm. we'll take it from here, instead being okay. open to that. Great. John, benefit pitfall. Oh, I think uh, Edwin gave some just incredibly sage uh, feedback on, on both of those topics. Yeah. But for us, uh, the benefits <clears throat> I, uh, would clearly be involved in um, talking with our external constituents. Uh, our executive director had a meeting with one of our key uh, donors about a year ago, uh, which I didn't know it was happening. But during that meeting, I get a call from the conference room, can you please come in and talk to one of our donors? And much to my surprise, that donor had very specific questions about risk management and how are you safeguarding our data and how are you complying with laws and regulations. And for us to be, it, it seemed kind of funny, but for us to be able to say, oh, by the way, we've just started this program, it was incredibly reassuring. So it can have some really practical benefits, particularly if you are a nonprofit and you're trying to protect your bottom line and you're trying to show a really good posture with all of your external constituents who are supporting you. And maybe um, one of your risks is not to have people get you off guard in front of a major donor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. It taught us to be uh, as prepared as we can be. Um, 
pitfalls, I think that one of the pitfalls is, um, you know, there can always be a tendency to want to make this a gotcha sort of exercise. And as Edwin mentioned, the, the lighter you can keep it, the, the um, more co collegial and collaborative. This is, about, um, this is about making sure things go right rather than worrying about what's going to go wrong. Uh, the more you can do that and avoid that any sort of negative tone, even in your internal audits, if you have an internal audit program, not to um, have it have any kind of a sense that it's a an inquisition or or discovery mm. process is just really really helpful. It's all about learning. It's all about you know taking good things and trying to make them better and not having the repercussions uh, on anyone, unless yeah. of course you uncover abject fraud or something like that. So Yeah, I mean, this really is it's, about the organization. It's right. putting the organization before the individual, right? Exactly. So, yeah. So that's what people have to be reminded of. This is about the organization and, and, and not any of one of us individually, but making sure that we're doing the right thing so we can continue the good work that we do. James. So I, I think on the benefit side, um, you know, the basic is having a reasonably secure system. It's not absolutely secure because if somebody really wants to get in, they'll get in. But if you take uh, steps, you'll have a reasonably secure system. But I think the greater benefit that I've seen is the revelation to organizations that IT is just a small component of it, uh, the IT department. IT security, the wave of things, has gone in the direction of the entire organization taking personal responsibility for the security of their data. And when that happens, it brings the whole organization together to understand everybody has a role to play in IT security, not just the IT guy or that outsourced IT organization. On the pitfall side, I think these, these gentlemen articulated it quite well. Uh, it's, it's really, if you don't take this positive mindset of revealing those areas where risks exist and have controls and assess them and accept the assessment as being just the facts, you will end up with a, a situation where people are pretty upset with each mm -hmm. other and upset pointing blame to IT. Right, yeah, thank you. So just to recap, we can start very um, focused. We can take a light touch and a broad brush. So there's different ways to approach risk assessment. The key is you gotta lay it out um, so you understand what you have in place already. Focus on the positive, not the negative. Put the firm before the individual. Have the co open and honest conversations so that when you're going to the board that has a short attention span, uh, you have a, a, a report. And I will tell you, the graphs are really helpful for the board to really visualize, oh, okay, I'm going to focus here on the red. Now, what does that mean? And, and where is that? And where's my role in this? And what is the board's role? And so by laying it all out in, in a, in a um, nice summary for the board is helpful. So um, the handout that you, ha that you have access to will give you sort of what does an ongoing review look like? What does an evaluation entail? Some helpful hints there. Um, sort of the areas in an enterprise risk assessment, a full-blown program. Um, that you need to look at each component for inherent risk and the effectiveness of the controls to figure out what your residual risk is in each area. And then shows you a chart that you can set up 
uh, to really look at um, your risk profile for each area, and this chart would be done for each section, um, and then it really is looking at the likelihood and impact. So sort of a nice reminder of what we've talked about uh, today. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say we'd be happy to help you any way we can in this area. Um, we work with our clients a lot and James does a lot of great work. Um, I want a big thank you to our panelists, Edwin, John, and James. Uh, they did a fantastic job and I'm sure catch them at a break or at lunch and if you have specific questions about how they handled a specific area or topic, I'm sure they would be happy to chat with you. So thank you. <laughs>